0: and I'm
1: Jenna. And I'm Mark. Thank you all for joining us for another episode of Cincinnati Zoo Tales. We're really excited for today's show. We're being joined by David Jenneke, the original David around here, we just <laughs> learned. Dave Jenneke, who's our the zoo COO, but he's also a huge Monarch
2: butterfly enthusiast.
0: I love Monarch butterflies, and yeah. <laughs> I think you're going to teach me a lot today, so I'm excited.
2: I, I, they, are, they are such amazing animals, and I, I know we'll get into it, but holy cow. Of of animals here in North America, I, I somehow they become my favorite. Oh, they're your like for number sure. one favorite. Oh, yeah.
0: I didn't know that because you're a big birder too, right?
2: I am, and I am, and I think starting to watch birds is what led me to monarchs. Okay. Um, in fact, I, I spent a, a, a fall migration up at Cape May, New Jersey, and it's renowned for the the birds of prey that fly through down the East Coast, and you can get at this little point and just watch the birds all day long. But I happened to be there one day when a monarch flight came through, and it just blew me away that here you are sitting on the beach, and there is just a, a river of monarchs flying over your head, just one after another. After so you another, weren't even after expecting another, it. After, oh, no, I, I can remember sitting on this, this boardwalk for probably two or three hours trying to get a photograph, <laughs> but, which I couldn't do, uh, uh, of, these, of these monarchs uh, flying, beginning their journey south. Wow. Um, absolutely amazing. And then um we worked with uh, uh, a nice woman, Louise Zemidas, who is uh works with some of the monarch watch programs and um she was uh catching and netting and, and then tagging uh monarchs there in Cape May and so we got to go help her and go you know, that was close my mind. Monarch. I just don't understand yeah.
0: how it doesn't harm them, or I'd be so nervous that I would. But the, I've seen a tagged monarch yeah. in my yard, and it was yeah. the most exciting thing ever.
2: And then they they find them, the, the recapture rate is very low, okay. Uh, but it is, uh, they do find them, uh, having traveled great distances, yeah. uh, which is amazing. So it, my, I've always been interested in them, but it was, uh, it was something that just literally that day I can remember thinking this is the most incredible I, I, I was laying on my back just looking up at a blue sky and seeing these these bright orange monarchs just flying by for, for hours oh my um, gosh so enjoyable that's amazing. A bucket
0: list for sure yeah, there's definitely. so many things that I want to do and so we want to like you're just an enthusiast about monarchs but that's not your job and we want to hear about monarchs but tell us a little bit what it's like to be the COO and what you did to get there and
2: yeah so um I earn my stripes in, in education. I feel so. like that's a good starting place for many yeah. of us here at mm, yeah. the zoo. I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, um, we're about inspiring um, our visitors, inspiring our listeners
1: Definitely. with wildlife.
2: And uh, we, you know, have that great fortune to work with some of the most amazing animals on our planet and to get to see them and develop relationships with them every day is, is um, you know, breathtaking and, and a responsibility all in of, all in of itself. But then to be able to share that, that interest and that energy and that enthusiasm with, with visitors, um, really makes all the difference. And in, in fact, if I went, if I went back and said, you know, as a kid, what did I grow up thinking I would be? It, it yeah. probably wasn't going to be a, 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 zoo COO. Um, it was going to be one of those national park rangers oh, um, wearing the big Smokey the bear hat <laughs> sitting by the campfire telling stories about bears. Cause, um, as a kid, both my parents were teachers and every summer for two to three weeks a summer, we'd pull a coachman trailer and uh, I've, I've two brothers and a sister and we'd just travel around the United States, um, visiting national parks wow. Incredible. Um, and, uh, You know, I think through that, and and, uh, just I was never a museum guy, uh, (laughs) so I always liked coming to the zoo or the nature center or going on those trips. Seeing living things, yeah. Yeah. To get outside, to hike, to just explore. Um, And uh, so I I think I developed that passion um, at a young age. And actually, in grad school, I just knew I was interested in wildlife and and got engaged, Um, went to Miami University. Did my undergrad and then a master's degree at, at Miami, um, and somewhere in there, I met some amazing people. Uh, in fact, the, the best advice I can give to anybody starting their career: uh, certainly do what you need to do in the classroom, but take the time to develop some relationships. Yes, uh, we've people, talked about that
0: briefly on here. It's so important.
2: Just, I mean, there are people doing amazing things in the world, and when you hear their story, go talk to them. Yes, and and learn more. And some sometimes. Some of those stories um, lead to opportunities, um, and some of those relationships can grow into opportunities. So I, I heard uh, two speakers from the uh, from the zoo in my graduate program. Are they still around? Would uh, we know them? Um, I don't know. One of them was from the from the cat show, uh, a woman named Kathy Thompson, <laughs> okay. um, who uh, was an IES grad. So the Institute of Environmental Sciences, the master's program I went to, mm. and. Uh, she came up with a serval um and did a, a program for us talked to us about the role of zoos and conservation and i went and talked to her afterwards and just fell in love with what they were doing down here and and i came down and at that point started teaching the overnight program doctoral okay. adventures oh, awesome well i was still in grad school so it was a way to, to pay for uh, uh I'm not sure I paid for a lot of grad school. I probably paid for a, <laughs> an extra beer meal. That was my first job, uh, too. I don't know how so, much it paid for. But I, I used to love it and come down and, and did that program. Um, and Kathy, who uh, was, a, a, again, a graduate from the program I was in, invited me down to do an internship. Um, and then two weeks after she got here, or after I got here, she left to go work at the Maryland Zoo. Oh. Okay. Um, And I thought, oh, this is, like, my mentor is now gone, what am I supposed to do for the next six months with this internship? Um, And it ended up being a great opportunity for me to fill uh, her shoes for six months while I didn't get hired into that position. I was able to to really begin to work and understand a, a lot about the education program at that point. The
0: Were you working with cats? Were you an intern no. in the cat so show? No, okay. so
2: she at that point had like switched I had no idea. from the, the cat show to be the program coordinator. Okay, okay. So gotcha. She was in charge of all the education program, non-school education programs. I that see, that okay. And the cat show is one of those that kind of it bleeds the line between yeah. like
1: animal care and education, right? They yeah. do so much of both, so yeah. it makes sense that someone would fit into education. Through that. Yeah. But how long ago was this? If you don't mind me asking, yeah, I'm no, really no. curious. So, like, what year was it when you so started? So, that
2: was, um, I spent the better part of the 80s in Oxford, Ohio. So, my undergrad started in, in the early 80s and then back to graduate. Took two years off and worked as a carpenter for a couple of years. And then uh, ended up back at Miami in the late 80s um, and came to do my internship here in 89 and I think got a full-time job in 1990. So 32 years ago and and I you know my my uh, personality type is I like change I like I have enthusiasm for for new things um, and new ideas so throughout my career I've been able to um, take on different roles initially within the education department uh, and then I've been fortunate enough to, to get engaged, uh, when Thane became director, to get engaged, um, working with facilities, working with exhibit design, which I always loved, um, working you know, with the horticulture team and others across the entire zoo. Uh, in fact, my, the path of my career has, in an interesting way, um, I got involved because of a love of wildlife and the path of my career has, has made me realize the, the importance and the value of people um here at the zoo and we're fortunate to have an amazing group of people um that make this place what it is today. And
0: I mean you kind of moved away from the wildlife into people and more business did you like did you just learn that as you went or did you go back to school? I'm always
2: and... curious. I'm always curious. Um so I did take um a couple of courses in nonprofit um okay. management along the way, but most of it is just learned on the job, learned wow. by working with others uh, here, working with our board of directors, um, and um, you know a, a lot of a lot of leadership comes down to um, common sense, comes down to um, decision making um, in in a way that. Uh, we've been fortunate here, I think, to get the the core recipe right. That idea of inspiring every visitor with wildlife mm-hmm. every day. If we do that part right, then visitors are going to come, and they're going to value what we what we're doing, and then we're able to take that value and, and invest it back into the into the zoo and the people that work here.
0: Yeah, um, then you can have people that work here that can help you with anything, and they correct. have their own. <laughs> we all have our own roles, yeah, right? Yeah. But it's funny. I ask because so many people, not in the zoo world. Are always looking for, um, well, not always, but you know, you want to move up. And as a zookeeper, it's it's a weird thing because you go from if you move up in your career and take on more responsibility or become like a leader or a boss, a
1: decision maker. Yeah, yeah. you
0: work less with animals, and so oftentimes it's like, no, actually, I don't want to in quotes move up, you know, in my career because then I wouldn't get to work with animals. So it's different sometimes. I'm glad you saw it, like the value in people, you realize that you can be passionate about something else also, because my parents or whoever will be like, well, do you want to become the boss one day? Do you want to be a curator one day? And like, I don't know. That would mean I don't get to hang out with Fiona every (laughs) day,
2: so probably not. (laughs) No, it's true. I, I, um, you know, I think when I look at my career to to date, it's been one where I've I've been able to manage projects and and through those projects, learn uh, more about about people, um, try and take on more responsibility. And I've been surrounded by amazing people. Like, you know, I've spent most of my career working with Thane and, um, there is not a more optimistic person, um, on the planet. And to be able to, um, you know, see his energy and enthusiasm toward wildlife and toward sharing those stories. Um, it's always been an opportunity for me to to both learn from that, but to also fill in the the niche of what he uh, you know we've worked together for 32 years. I've he's been here a little bit longer, but I've worked together for 32 years, and I, I recognize there are things that he did really well that I didn't need to focus on, mm-hmm. and I tried to focus on some of those other uh, aspects. Um, you know, we joke about with each other about. Uh, you know, doing the work and uh and talking about it and so on but it is at the end of the day um i think we've made a good uh a good pair yeah like uh, you can definitely. fill in for each other's strengths yeah. and
0: weaknesses and yeah, yeah I mean, and make a good so. team and yeah, yeah that's awesome and so. it's not likely that people wa- work with the same person like side by side for that long in one no. career at one place so yeah it's very cool
1: that's definitely something i appreciate about working at the zoo though is like you know, at heart, we're all animal nerds. But we're sitting down with the COO. Most people would be at their company sit, talking to their COO, and you don't have anything to talk about or anything in common. But here, or they don't know
0: your name. Or, yeah, we all yeah. love
1: wildlife. We're all yeah. passionate
2: about it. Something that's easy to bond over, right? And, and, <laughs> and we're still—I I, hope—I I don't know that I could ever work at a zoo that's so big that that there are those kinds of barriers that yeah. exist. Because um, we're still a small uh, institution. We have 257 full-time employees we should know each other mm-hmm. yeah um, we should be able to get excited, you know, when, when there's something exciting happening in your areas. I mean, what job do you get to go to every day? And for me, so my day starts probably not that different than what you guys do, is you check in with, you know, with everybody just to make sure all the animals are secure for the night before. My morning is to read. I get a, I don't read all the daily reports from all oh the animals. Oh, gosh, I would hope not. That would be I get, really long. <laughs> I, get a, I get a summary of those. And I oh, okay. I mean, who gets to start their job every morning reading about what's happened with the you know animal collection at yeah. night yeah. and uh uh it's it always it keeps you grounded it yeah. keeps you remembering why we're here and what we're uh, what we're here to do
0: that's actually interesting so you start off that what do you what's the rest of your t- typical day look like for you a
2: lot of meetings
0: okay
2: yeah um it's a lot of so f- for me a, a typical the 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 typical pace of my work is is tied more to strategy um and trying to think about where we're going to be six months or a year from now versus what we're doing tomorrow or yeah. the next day. Um, so I end up in a lot of um, discussions and meetings. Um, that makes sense. All, In fact, too much so. so sometimes <laughs> you need to stop. Um, uh, I, for many, many years, um, took a lot of pictures here at the zoo. It's something I love doing, and um, it's I don't have time to do it as much as I used to but the thing I used to love about it and I've got come Jenna and shared some of the you know when when Fiona was younger to be able to come over and take some pictures and then to be able to share those pictures and that experience back with with you as keepers and caretakers of those animals Mm -hmm. was always um one of the most gratifying parts of my job yeah uh, it's one of the things I I miss a little bit and want to force myself to uh to get back into
0: Yeah, we, we feel that. We feel like there are more meetings than ever these days, and yeah. we like sometimes have to force ourselves to make time to do like <laughs> sit with the meerkats or just go like watch an
2: animal, you well, know? If you're not, I mean, when are you at your best? When
0: you're happy, right? When you're happy, when you're <laughs>
2: inspired, yes. And what inspires you? And and I doubt there are many people in the world that say that meeting I just <laughs> went to is the most inspiring thing that's happened to me all year. Um, so you, you have to remember. You know, and, and I tell anybody reflect on you know what it is, what you feel like, what it is that that when you're at your best, and think about how to reinforce some of those values and some of those activities, because uh, when you're at your best, your teammates are gonna are gonna see it and feel it. You're gonna be more productive. Um, those things that you focus on, you're gonna succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, those things you focus on are gonna do better than the things you don't focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, so be at your best figure out what that is um, and, and try and do try and manage your calendar I, I tell people and I'm not very good at it but um, it's just a matter of, make sure you have enough time for yourself yeah. to stay inspired
1: that's yeah. All of those are really good. Points. And that's something I wanted to ask you. Like, if you had a favorite part of your job and a least favorite part of your job, is your favorite part of your job those moments you get to go and take photos of animals around the zoo?
2: I think it is. is. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and today, I'm, I'm, don't get out. I mean, we have so many great volunteer photographers that I actually can't compete. with the <laughs> Quality <laughs> we do have the some photographers, photographers that are here today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, my favorite part is going out. Um, you know, and stopping in at an area. Not only getting to see the animals, and I, I love that part, but getting to hear what uh, what people are doing and how they're mm. accomplishing it. So, um, whether that's in whether that's in an animal area or with our horticulture team, um, I like to approach every day curious and think about you know the things I don't know and um, uh, get excited around you know people who bring a, a different expertise to the table every day. Mm. Speaking of excitement something you get really excited about
1: as we heard at the start of the show monarch butterflies i really want to get yeah. into some of your experiences i was my first question i wanted to ask you about it was like what got you so interested in monarchs but i
2: think we just got the answer right yeah you're yeah. just sitting on a pier accidentally in- saw <laughs> <my> <laughs> Accident- yeah. so and, and at that time i think my daughter was eight years old or so seven or eight years old and went over so so i'm sitting there that day and these monarchs are flying by and you know, I literally was trying my my damnedest to get a, a, a photo of one flying by, which um, I, I think I got one that wasn't blurry out of like <laughs> 400 digital cameras that just come out. And and but later that afternoon, uh, I was able to go um, and, like I said, participate in in one of these areas where there's a, a little bit of a fueling station for the monarchs. Um, they'd have a little. There were a couple of yards that had. Uh, plants in it that were good uh, nectar plants in order to help them fuel their migration. And and you could literally walk up, um, catch it. They, they taught us how to do it, um, take them over, and then the scientists would measure and weigh them. And and then we'd release them. And uh, I don't know if you're supposed to do this or not, but my eight-year-old daughter, we'd put it right on her nose <laughs> and, and then the butterfly would, would fly away. And that would make for a good photo. We, <laughs> we had the best afternoon just so it was a great family experience um that is uh that turned into something that eventually um, led me down to to be able to see the migration but i i think the thing that is so exciting about monarchs is they're so accessible they're in everybody's backyard you know they might not be the most numerous insect that you see in your backyard but there's a really good chance that you can see one um, there's a really good chance if you plant the right plants that you could see, you know, an egg laid and a caterpillar, um, sure, beginning to, to hatch. Well, actually yeah. a chrysalis yeah.
0: from a monarch. Oh,
2: they it's look insane. like diamond green it, little gold. Like oh, intricate. Gosh, yeah. It looks,
0: there's no way that they could create that as yeah. it's, yeah, they're the yeah. coolest things
2: ever. So, so it literally was the, the seeing the, this migration, and then having that experience and, and we didn't go to a, a nature preserve. We were at Cape May Point, New Jersey, and we went into somebody's yard mm-hmm. where they had planted the right plants to fuel the migration, and there we were doing science right in this, you know, right in this person's front yard. And it was it was remarkable because what what well, if I can turn and put my educator hat on for a minute? Yeah. The the thing that's really cool about monarchs is they are the only multi generational migrant in the world. So in the s- world, think about that for a second. Think about that. So uh, the, the, everybody can't see the photo behind Jenna. <laughs> Here is is a picture of Amboseli, uh National Park, and and we think of the great migrations that occur. Uh, in, in the Serengeti and up into the Maasai Mara and the movement of the wildebeest across the Mara River and, and the zebra that follow and the hoofstock that follow them. Unbelievable. You know, a spectacle. Um, the salmon running every oh, yeah. uh, into, the, into the streams in the Pacific Northwest and up into Alaska. You know, these incredible migrations. But here's a little monarch butterfly that flies 3,000 miles in the fall to overwinter uh, in the eastern portion of the United States to overwinter uh, in a forest um, a couple hours uh, to the west of Mexico City. So it flies all the way down to Mexico. Does Could it all always go? Yeah, so the eastern population migrates down to this uh, monarch biosphere reserve. Um, so there are different roosts within the reserve um, and I've had the good fortune to, to go down and visit it, but they they somehow migrate all the way down to the same spot. Now I'll go back to the multi-generational part. Because those individuals that overwinter, so they spend the winter there, um, and then they begin to come at, become active in March, uh, late February, March, um, and they begin the journey north. So here's this animal that now is... Seven, eight months old, they breed, lay some eggs in northern Mexico, in Texas, in southern United States. Those then caterpillars, that first generation, um, uh, adult or morph into the adult and continue their migration north. So every year there are four generations of monarchs. So generation one is hatched in southern United States or northern Mexico and they continue to move north, and they, the second generation, they only live for six weeks, Um, and then the next generation. And it's that fourth generation, believe it or not. So the fourth generation of that year, which ends up being a little bit larger, those are the ones that make the actual trek down to Mexico. So not once does the same butterfly go to Mexico and come back north. So that butterfly that may be flying from somewhere in Canada all the way down the flyways, you know, in the case uh, of Cape Major, Jersey, all the way down the East Coast, around the Gulf of Mexico, down to Mexico, has never been there before.
0: I have so many questions. First of all, I had no idea. But so you're saying the fourth generation lives significantly longer, flies much, much further than the others. Yep. Is there, like, something that happens in that fourth generation that allows them to be stronger or live longer, or is it
2: just there is. how it works? My enthusiasm might fall short of the science here, so there oh. might be some <laughs> others that can answer that question uh, a little bit better. But that there is definitely something different that is occurring in that, in that fourth generation. Um, they do not have the, uh, the urge to, to breed and invest the energy into okay. uh, reproduction at that point. They are driven to migrate.
0: What um, could drive them. So,
2: so that that's occurring in. If you look at the calendar year, that's occurring in in August and September when you begin to see that fourth generation. Um, they then show up in Mexico uh, on the Day of the Dead. Always. Wow. So literally, right around that time. Wow. They show up in. Uh, we went uh, the, the time I've been down to Mexico in 2019 to see this. Uh, we went to a little mining village called Angangale, uh, and it was there walking the, or through the village that we heard the stories of you know, the belief that the monarch butterflies represent the spirits of oh, wow. uh, <coughs> those that had recently departed, uh, returning to share in the, in the Day of the Dead um, uh, festivities. So, um, but they would come back to the same place, um, and then they, they. And how do
0: they know how to get there, and why so they, do they go there? They do
2: believe that you know migration. They're they're able to migrate during the day, so they're certainly using the sun and the angles of the sun. There's also certainly a, a sensing of the Earth's magnetic uh, waves, a part of it. Um, I know there's some researchers right here at the University of Cincinnati that are working on some of the more detailed okay. uh, understanding of that. Um, like the, the impact that the the soil chemistry has on the forest where they go and how they may sense it. I mean, it's unbelievable stuff. But they go back to the same uh, the same spot, um, and and they they have to nestle into the into the forest to get you know they don't want to be on the edge where uh, where the cold could could actually harm them. So they nestle in, reduce the winds, find the perfect humidity and temperature. To be able to make it through uh, the winter, and then they begin to get active again. Um, so
0: they're not eating or drinking. During they'll this begin.
2: They'll <laughs> begin to get uh, more active. Um, so I was down there in February, and they were all beginning to fly around, and uh, certainly uh, very active. And okay. we saw uh, a sky full of them at times. Um, in fact, at one point, we're on a, a hike, um, and. These forests, some of them are very accessible. Uh, El Rosario is, is one where you can you can park in the parking lot and walk up through a gate, and within a quarter mile, you're on a, a hillside full of monarchs. Wow. Others are a little bit more of a track, um, and and on one of these treks, we we got up into the forest, and monarchs are just everywhere around us, and they're all they're all feeding and, and uh, fueling up and. Uh, as the sun was starting to come up, you could see the sun beginning to to warm the the trees, uh, the canopy of the trees that the, the monarchs were roosting on. And initially, you see this this incredible color show, this light show of just their wings pumping open and closed, and you see the the orange and black, you know, uh, uh, kind of waves of it through the wow. forest canopy. And then all at once, <coughs> without any warning. Thousands of monarchs all flush into the air, and uh, it was it was one of the most amazing things i've ever seen, and one of the most amazing migrations in the whole oh, world definitely. and it's right here in north america and on top of that, not only is it right here in North America, but it's something that you can participate in yeah, yeah. you can be a part of helping this um, this truly North American phenomenon, like it, like I said, it occurs nowhere else in the world there, there are certainly insects uh, that migrate. But nothing like this multi generational migration uh, over thousands with, of miles yeah, right? that yeah. occurs with monarch butterflies. Um, and and as a you know as a homeowner here in, in Cincinnati, Ohio, you can participate. And you say, "Well, how can I, you know, how can I participate in the monarch migration?" Well, there are two things that that they need. One is a plant, a host plant, in order to uh, lay their egg. Uh, and allow their caterpillar to grow and the second is nectar to fuel their migration so host plants this is where it gets really interesting they lay their eggs only on different uh, species of milkweed I think there's 27 or so different species of milkweed in, in North America uh, so they are searching out milkweed is essential to their yeah. to their survival and success mm-hmm. so they they lay an egg and and I can remember learning this in biology in the 1980s, but you know, it's that caterpillar feeding on the milkweed that collects um, some of the bitter, some of the chemicals from the milkweed that, that make the monarchs as adults taste really bad. So if you're a bird, for example, a blue jay, uh, so I think the, the animal they did the study on, uh, you know, who tastes the monarch and gets sick, well, you, you learn what that pattern is and you never go back and eat it again. Yeah. So as an adult, you're safe. Um, as a caterpillar, there are lots of things that may prey on you uh, as, a, as a caterpillar. But they have those cool morning colors. Stars. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But they they only, the, they require milkweed in order to survive. So one of the things that we can do as homeowners, um, and it's a horribly named plant to call it a weed. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But it's a beautiful flower. It doesn't flower for very long. It's this big um ball-like dome made up of hundreds of little uh, smaller flowers, and um, you can plant that right in your own yard. Um, and in fact, it's important if, you, if you're listening to this, find out what species of milkweed are common in your area uh, and make sure you plant those um, so that those are the ones that those monarchs are going to need um, as, they, uh, as they reproduce. Um, so we can be a part of that migration right here, and how exciting would it be um, you know, to be able to walk out your door with your, with your family and see a monarch caterpillar on a plant in your yard and then see that chrysalis form and then eventually have that, have that adult butterfly, that adult monarch emerge from the chrysalis. Um, I, there, to be able to have that experience in your backyard? It's the coolest
0: thing ever. Yeah. So I, years ago, I don't know exactly how long ago it was. We didn't specifically plant milkweed and I don't know where it was around our home, but we had woods on the sides of, side of our house. So I don't know if it was just randomly growing back there, but just one day we came out and there was a chrysalis yeah. hanging from our front porch and I became obsessed with yeah. it and check it every day. <laughs> I and like that was the first time I saw one in person it's beautiful it seriously looks like it was hand painted with gold by like an artist and yes i think if you ever had the opportunity to come across one of those in your own in your own yard i promise you would like fall in love with it but i don't know half of this amazing stuff about them the
2: the first time i i had one in my yard and I, i saw the little tiny caterpillar and and tiny tiny little caterpillar and Every day I went out to look for the caterpillar. And I'd look for the leaves that it was eating, and, and I'd, you have to peer under each leaf, and eventually and eventually, it it, um, uh, it did get to a, a, a chrysalis stage and, and emerged as an adult, and I got to see it take its first flight. No way, oh, you caught awesome. that. I sadly was watching it with my dog, who immediately ran over and tried <gasps> to grab it out of the air, which... Um, I had to tackle him. Oh and my <laughs> god. The monarch. Did you save the monitor? I did save oh, the Good. Um, but but that I don't know of very few <laughs> wildlife conservation stories that that you can have such a direct and personal mm-hmm. connection with just by changing the plants that you put in your yard. Right? right. So here at the zoo, one of the ways that we do that is through a program called our plants for pollinators. Uh, I'm not a horticulturalist either, so I I rely on our team here at the zoo to tell me there there are three species of of, uh, milkweed that we sell uh, out at our native plant sales, which we do uh, starting in, I think, in April all the way through the fall. Um, And you can buy native milkweed from the zoo um, and be able to put it right in your backyard along with other pollinator plants, Mm -hmm. plants that are producing nectar for, uh, for some of the spring bees or some of the late fall. Uh, you know, one of the important things for monarchs is you also have to have nectar uh, for them to fuel their migration uh, Both during the fall. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, being able to take the time to, uh, and, and the nice thing about the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden, um, <laughs> is that we have an incredible team of, of horticulturalists that are able to help consult with you on what plants are gonna work in, in, your, um, in your yard, um, what native species that you can put in the ground that are gonna be great for, not only for monarchs and other butterflies, but for many of the pollinators that we're, we certainly rely on uh, for uh, much of the food that we eat and uh, the flowering plants that we see. So that opportunity to bring nature and conservation right to your own backyard um is not only unique it's also critically important mm-hmm. um that the the yards that we have when you think about think about a yard that is nothing but a green lawn with chemicals applied to it how many times have you walked by that sign when you're out on a walk with your with your family or with your dog and you see that little sign in the yard that says mm-hmm. no dogs kids don't touch the grass. Right. It's poisonous. That's horrible. Right. I mean, it, it, it's absolutely horrible. Let's, let's instead try and figure out ways to um, manage our, our gardens without pesticides um, and add plants that um, the native plants are, are always a great start. But we also, we also do science here at the zoo to learn which of the annuals that we plant here in our garden are the most beneficial to pollinators and we can it's share that cool. with you yeah. yeah and we can share that and say hey here are the ones that we've found that grow in this area that are really great um and and you can put them in your yard and it doesn't mean you have to turn your entire yard into a pollinator right, yeah, garden yeah. just mix some of those native plants in there Milk, mix the milkweed in there and then wait and see, see what comes, see what approaches. I feel
0: like I've read once or something that if you just have one pot of flowering plants, I mean, that can bring a whole host of different pollinators to your yard. Yeah, you yeah and
2: even if you're in an apartment, you can you can get a big pot and, and create a little uh, pollinator garden, uh, even in your apartment. Right, um, it doesn't
0: take much, just some flowers. These are all just micro-ecosystems, yeah. you know.
1: There's a whole ecosystem in every flower pot yep. for
2: all these insects. Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. it's... um. You know, again, it does. It doesn't take much, but that simple act, um, which which you can then get the zoo support from. So not only we'll help you figure out what plants work in your garden, but then you can certify your garden. Yeah. And and you can become part of a national network of of certified gardens. You know, we've certified over a uh, couple thousand gardens um, that are now part of a conservation story, that is succeeding. Yes. And you know what. <laughs> What more could there be? Yeah.
0: I have a few questions um, regarding the monarchs. One, do you know the reason, like, I don't know if anyone knows the reason, but why, why migrate at all? Why not stay in Mexico or why not stay in the southern United States? Why go north when there's probably plants and flowers at all times and heat
2: yeah, south. I'm 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 gonna have to I'm gonna have to plead the fifth on the, <laughs> <of> the <laughs> That's I, fine. I don't know. I can tell you with with lots of birds it is you do go in search of you know, when you see a lot of the birds that are migrating north, um a lot of our songbirds that are here during the summer, um, come to our forest because of the abundance of, of food, the abundance okay. of insects. Um so what started that migration? Uh I'm not really sure there is a western population of monarchs as well. Um, so whether that was some animals that made it over the Rockies and into California, uh, but they're migrate. They don't migrate all the way into Mexico. Uh, they're actually much more endangered, much smaller population uh, than the than the east eastern uh, monarch. Uh, but they also migrate. So and there are other butterflies that migrate. Right. Um, you know it, it. Again, my guess is related to. Um, related to resources. So maybe uh, they just wouldn't be enough resources, resources if yeah. they all stayed in one place yeah.
0: or something? Yeah. yeah, it's just because, you know, in the warmer areas, there is go- there yeah. are going to be more resources. Yeah. So it's like, why why make that huge yeah. journey? And it's incredible that they know to go south and how to get there. But you mentioned that the Western monarchs are endangered, and that was one of my other questions. They're considered endangered or critically endangered? Or yeah, you their know?
2: population really was impacted. Um, their population dropped down into the thousands of animals is uh, this specifically recently.
0: Western or yeah, both? Western
2: okay um, um, I think the whole monarch population was listed as uh, on the red list um, which again there are very few insects on that list mm. and here is this opportunity for us to highlight um, uh, an incredible animal that, that whose feet you know migration is is without parallel in the animal world. Um, and bring attention to um, the small animals. I think E.O. Wilson said it best. You know, they're they're the little creatures, the insects that that rule the world. You know, mm-hmm. we couldn't live without them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and and their value uh, cannot be overstated. Uh, so to be be able to identify, hey, there are there are issues. There are things that you can do. Um, there are threatened um, and, and endangered insects in the world. Uh, that we need to pay attention to, uh, as well as some of the larger vertebrates that we tend to highlight here at right. the zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, insects are, are critically important to those ecosystems.
1: And that western population, correct me if I'm wrong, they were affected by the wildfires a lot, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. wildfires, um, climate change, um, mm. you know, have, finding the, the places to roost um, and, and make it through their winters um, is, you know, is part of that as well. Mm-hmm. Habitat loss, I assume, yeah. is a big part of it. Pesticides, you know, pesticides are, are certainly a big issue with any insect mm. population, and, and monarchs included in that. Um, so the use of pesticides in broad uh, forms across uh, across the us it's not good. It's not good for us. Either. It's not good for us, either. <laughs> <laughs> particularly, you uh, know,
0: for your long. Like, yes. Uh, anyway, yeah. So the the tagging of the monarchs, though. So, I remember I found one uh, just a few years ago, and I know there was, like, is it monarchs.org? Do you know the site? If you find one and you can try and get a picture and there's, like, a little teeny tiny number on that sticker that's on their wing, do you know much about that or how people can participate?
2: So so that's, again, the beauty of this. Not only can you participate by planting plants in your own yard and encouraging monarchs and other pollinators into your yard, You can watch the migration. Um, There's some folks at a a program, uh, journeynorth.org, where you can begin to look at the track of the monarchs as they move north and south south every year. Um, The Monarch Joint Venture uh, is another. I think it's monarchjointventure.org. Um, is another really great resource that combines a lot of the uh, a lot of the individuals that are working on monarch conservation. Um, okay. and Provides access to all the resources. But Journey North, I think, is the the team that you're thinking of okay. that really uh, manages uh, a lot of that uh, a lot of that mi- migration. Um, monarch Watch, I think, is a third that one. That sounds
0: familiar. Um,
2: that does uh, a lot of the the
0: monarch tagging okay so yeah basically if you find that then you can submit it to one of these websites so the researchers you're helping them yep and uh they can know where these monarchs are being found and where they're traveling to and And where there might be food travel
1: oh Um, yeah it's yeah and the tagging process fascinates me do you know a whole lot about that like how i'm i never understood how you're able to tag a butterfly without damaging it or hurting it. Like it, it makes no sense to me. They're so delicate. They're so yeah, small and it's animals. a tiny
2: little sticker, um and um they you know, they say it balances, you know, that that doesn't impact their overall migration. The weight of it is uh insignificant. Um and they certainly found you know the hard part is recovering um you know monarchs is is not an easy thing it's like finding a a needle in a haystack sometimes Um, but they do find the the tagged animals down in uh mexico or along the journey uh along the journey south um so it's um it is one that that you should work with individuals who know how to do it and are trained to Mm -hmm. to do it like even the story i mentioned of, of collecting all i did was was catch the butterfly and then i'd hand it over to the person who gently handled it uh and able to measure it sex it and then um and then add the the tag so um Don't smarter catch engineers than me <laughs> yes yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, something but, else i wanted to ask you about regarding monarchs is our monarch festival here at the zoo yeah we talk a little bit about like the origins around it and what inspired it?
2: Yeah. So uh, again, the the accessibility of monarchs to people um, mm. is what is what really inspired it. The opportunity for us to celebrate um, that migration. So monarchs are not only migrating in in August and September; they're also at their highest numbers. So their generations have have grown in size um, as the uh, as they move from there to that first generation, second, third, fourth. So they. They're at a, the largest number. So you see the most monarchs typically uh, in that August and, oh, okay. and September uh, time of the year. Um, so it's, it's again, we're here at the zoo. You know, we, I mean, we've got Fiona. We've got, you know, animals from around the world. But because of the plants we plant in our garden, we're able to attract monarchs here. Mm-hmm. And we're able to celebrate that, that migration, um, celebrate, you know, what it's like to... to Move three thousand miles to cross rivers and mountains and prairies yeah. uh, to to end up down in, in Mexico. Um, we're able to celebrate the the culture too of um, you know the area where the monarch uh, biosphere reserve uh, is again just a little few hours west of uh, of Mexico City, and um, it gives us an opportunity to to explore that connection that people have uh, with wildlife. <laughs> And celebrate it. Mm. Um, So, and highlight some of the the folks that have partnered with us along the way, um, helping our uh, pollinator program uh, succeed. Yeah, the Monarch Festival is always a fun one to
1: me. I mean, it takes place. It's a bit of a different Saturday depending on the year. It's always sometime in that August, September, October range. But it's always fun seeing like the videos and photos been. of kids. They they get make wings for the kids, and yeah. the kids will march around the gift shop area and Vine Street Village area with their
2: butterfly wings. It's always fun. <laughs> so we uh, we had the idea to to work with a, a local vendor and and create a eight foot monarch that you that you put on. Put on a big harness, um, and you and and you, you flap the wings with your arms. Um, and, I think I've heard of you wearing this monarch I, um, costume. I did, uh, I did wear the on the first year we had it. I I said, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to lead the monarch parade, and I will admit, by the end of the parade, my my shoulders and forearms <laughs> were about to collapse. Uh, but it was it, it, it's, it's one that we have a lot of fun with. Our zoo teens here at the zoo take a big role with it, um, so they bring their energy. If you ever been in one of those, those uh, races where they throw uh, color dye at you?
0: Oh, uh, so yeah. So we do a little
2: bit of that with the black and orange uh, colors here. Uh, and, and our zoo teen program celebrates the monarchs not only helping teach kids about them, Uh, But bringing that that energy to the main entry and and to kind of understanding what these animals are going through. And then our insect team uh, is out often uh, doing some demonstrations and and talking with visitors as they're here at the zoo.
0: Very cool. So people can look for that next fall here at the zoo to join the the Monarch Festival here. The parade,
1: the Monarch Parade, the Monarch Festival. It's a fun one for sure.
0: So there's, I always knew they were amazing and have thought monarchs were beautiful and amazing to see in my yard, but I had no idea. And I knew they migrated, but I had no idea there were like four generations. Some live longer than others. Is there anything else like really cool facts we've missed or you think we should highlight?
2: You know, it is for me, I, I think it is that migration itself that is the, the miracle that you know, I, I almost, I, I kind of want to know what drives them to migrate, yes, but I, I almost do. don't want to, you know? <laughs> the, <mystery's more> <laughs> the, the mystery is more exciting. The mystery is so exciting, but, but science continues to drive us to learn more. Um, and and the fact that, that that migration and these animals can inspire us to make changes um, in our own behavior, in our own uh, and actions that we can take uh, in our own yards, um also provides hope. Yeah. You know. Definitely. How how often are you are you talking with folks and you know we're talking about cheetah conservation or lion conservation or things things that are so far away from our what we can do on a daily basis. Well, this is an animal that you can not only celebrate but you can take action to help uh, to help it succeed and survive um, by planning milkweed That's, and other pollinator plants in your own garden so mm-hmm. you can That's a good point you can take not only an active role a critical role yes uh, in helping these uh, animals survive
0: it make a significant difference for yes. animals that are in your backyard and obviously giving and donating to all sorts of things is fantastic but yeah giving fifty dollars to lion conservation is going to do a lot and it's very worthy cause but you could literally just plant something in your backyard and save like a monarch's life mm -hmm. i think about this migration and it's like i couldn't swim across the ohio river right but these (laughs) monarchs fly across three thousand miles but like so they're not eating constantly you would think it would take so much energy and like so they cross this big river and then
2: yeah, they're not eating constantly, but they are refueling. So, so that that's part of the story as well. Finding that sugary is it's just amazing they can to, get past one point in order and then to try to refuel, find more. Um, to rest at night. They only migrate during the day, so they'll they'll rest at at night, um, and then continue their their way on south. Hopefully, catching the right fronts that are the winds are blowing in the right direction. Yeah. So, uh Certainly a big part of that and a big help. But um, yeah, they are. They're amazing.
0: Have you ever seen one at night? I've never found a butterfly resting at night.
2: Yeah, I, I, um, I literally when I, I've seen both here in, in Cape May, New Jersey, um, as well as um, down in in Mexico, when you come across these roosts, um, they're just all their wings are closed. They're they're just up against the But the like, what about an individual
0: branch. here in Cincinnati? Like if it just was on its way and it's by itself, it's not with a bunch, where are they sleeping? Or yeah. like, have you so ever... So
2: they, they, you know, often you'll, you will they'll sleep in and among the branches of, of, uh, you know, evergreen trees a okay. lot of times, but um, around here, like I've never seen one around here. Yeah, that's so what I was just know, wondering. <laughs> I don't know if here uh, it would be the same as what you'd, you'd see down in, in Mexico, but... Um, they are they are just finding that place to roost uh, each night and then let the sun warm them up the yeah. next day and get on their way. And there are lots of studies. Um, you know, if, if I, again, I'm a I'm a monarch enthusiast. I'm not a monarch scientist. Uh, you know, so folks at Journey North, folks at um, the the Monarch Joint Venture uh, are great. Provide great access to resources and mm-hmm. some of the most current. Uh, information that's going on. I'll also say uh, the the trip I did to Mexico to visit the monarch Rus', um is a zoo trip. So we led the the first time we had done it uh, back in 2019. Uh, we we had one set to go in 2020, course, right when COVID course, hit. Course, yeah. uh, but we were able to send that down uh, earlier uh, earlier this year. Um, we'll take a year off next year, and then we'll offer it again. So uh, if you're interested in seeing this. Um, we work with a great, great team of folks, and um, I can uh, tell you the experience itself is uh, is remarkable.
1: Yeah, I mean, just some of the right before we started recording,
2: you were showing us some of the photos. One of my one of my favorite pictures, um, and I, I think we can describe this to your to your listeners. Um, if you can imagine um, a sky full of monarch butterflies that looks like. Um, leaves falling from a tree here in our fall, um, but it's it's actually thousands, tens of thousands of monarchs uh, that are filling the air um, as they uh, as they begin to move around. This um, photo is seriously
0: incredible. It look it does look like from afar if you don't see the details of the butterflies. It looks like a fall day with a windy, yeah, like blowing up all yes. the leaves. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's it looks incredible. like something
1: from a movie or a TV show. It doesn't look like there's too many butterflies to count in the photo. It's <laughs> incredible, and you described earlier the sound. You can actually hear
2: yeah. butterflies. This this it only happened to us a couple of times, but once it it must have been uh, thousands, if not a, tens of thousands, of butterflies that flushed out of a out of their night roost uh, all at once, and you just you heard the the, the wings, the combined wing flat, and the, the amazing part, we were, there were about four or five of us standing there as we were watching this, and you could, as we replayed the video, you could just hear everybody sigh and go, wow, <laughs> and it was just this incredible, um, moment where you, you, you literally can hear, uh, the sound of a monarch flying. That is amazing or at yes. least thousands Unbelievable. Of them <laughs>
0: i am definitely going to try and make this happen at some point in my life well mark do you have trivia for us today
1: I, yeah if you're up for it yeah we have some trivia questions oh for you guys all we're obviously talking about monarch butterflies today trivia is <laughs> butterfly related okay. oh gosh. so best of luck <laughs> i know for me personally yeah. we
2: are uh trouble we are in trouble here (laughs) no i'm sure you'll do
1: great can we can we call a friend (laughs) 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 we have no no lifelines here no No (laughs) lifelines here all right question one about how many butterfly species are there
2: in the world oh my gosh so you know every every question has a story but you know so the the famous biologist uh jv haldane once said uh he was a theologian too i think he he said, "You know, when, when God created life on Earth, He had a propensity for beetles. <laughs> there are more beetles yeah. in, yes. in the insect world than any other type of uh, any other type of insect. So that's my trivia moment there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there yeah, are. Yeah, are there more
0: species of beetles than there are like insects combined Correct. or something yeah. like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, butterflies.
2: I'll tell you this: there's a lot of butterflies <laughs> out there too." <laughs> What do we think? Can we do an over under here? All right, all right.
1: I'll give you over under, over under at thirty thousand. What? I'd say over. Over under is at thirty thousand.
0: I was going to guess like three hundred, so like this would have been under. It is under.
1: It is under. There's about give or take. There's about seventeen thousand five hundred. Wow. Different species. Different species of butterfly. Just in the United States, there's about
2: 750.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah. And and we should say, if you're here at the, the zoo uh, during the summer, last year we opened up um, the our butterfly aviary in our insect world mm-hmm. to um, tropical butterflies. Uh, so you can see a host of different species, not 17,000 yeah. <laughs> Uh uh, if you come and visit the insect world in, a, in our during our summer yeah. season, which is very oh, cool. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful
1: to see, especially with all the natural light, the skylights, let all the sunlight <laughs> in. It's really pretty to see. All right, we're, we've got a lot of butterflies out there. That's the first thing we've established. <laughs> Question two, which I think is something that trips a lot of listeners up. How many wings do butterflies have? Four. Two. I think it's just two it is four. Yes. four. It is four. They I guess have all insects a, have four, right? A pair of four wings know. and yeah. a pair of hindwings. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they do have four wings that kind of can operate independently if they need I've to. i just yeah. lost all my credibility. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we did say this man is an enthusiast. Yeah. He's an enthusiast. He's passionate and he loves his butterflies. But none of us oh, can be man. experts at everything, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's... that's- no. I mean, Jenna and I—how many kinds of we gotten trivia questions wrong? Oh on my the gosh,
0: show. so many. And sometimes I say two for fa- two so far. Hippo facts, and I'm like, I don't know if that's true. I think I read that once. You know, Do you ever you're... make
2: up an, an answer?
0: <laughs> I usually like, try and say I don't know, but sometimes I'll say something like, "Did I just make that like, up?" <laughs> like,
2: like, like. There's a general like, how long is gestation for different animals, different mammals. And, and I like. Just up? Well, no, I have like a size category, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, elephants at the one end, mice at the other, and I, I just kind of try might and trick you up out. on that. I know, I know. Sure. I know. There's some like hippos or <laughs> sloths that are yes, a little so longer. Long? Yeah. Yes. Um so So yeah. So it.
1: It's yeah. hard to be know everything. <laughs> it's hard to, to know just, everything. It's that's the one thing we can appreciate about working in the zoo field, though, is it's not just hard; it's impossible. That's to know Everything. Right. There's always yeah. something to learn. Though, yes. So it, it makes it fun, but. Question three. I think we've got one. Got that one. Here. we could get. It's a softball. <laughs> this one's a softball. How many miles is the monarch migration? Oh,
0: I only know this because Dave taught me
1: <laughs> just now. It can be up to 3,000 miles. Yeah, so. 3,000 miles. 2,500 yeah. to 3,000 yeah. miles depending yeah. on exactly where they're coming from and where wow. they're going. But the stat about that that fascinated me that I saw is they, monarch butterflies can fly up to 100 miles in a single day. Wow. Which is
2: mind-boggling.
0: They're so small. Yeah. To fly that. Yeah.
2: Imagine walking, running, cycling, any of those 100 miles. miles. Yeah,
0: Gosh, a crazy day for us is usually like eight, maybe nine miles is my max. I think I've walked at work and you're exhausted. Your feet hurt by the end. Ten times that. Wow.
1: Butterflies are incredible. All right. Last question we have here for you. What is the largest species of butterfly? bonus points if you can tell me how large it
2: is wow so
1: in terms of wingspan some
2: of the i i don't know but some of the blue morpho butterflies are quite large six inches across Um, i
0: always like from what i've seen in person i always thought monarchs were some of the biggest are they
2: no, there's some that are bigger. Okay. Like you'll see the blue morpho. Blue, blue morpho. Morph- oh, they're the only ones I'm familiar with. What about like
0: a swallowtail?
2: So it's got to be a giant something or other. There.
1: <laughs> yeah. So there's a subcategory of butterflies called bird wings. Ah yes. and it's Particularly the Queen Alexandra's birdwing is the largest known species. I've never heard of it. You can get up to 12 inches oh, across. Wow. That would
0: wingspan. be gorgeous. Wow. Where, did, where are they found? Did you say that?
1: You, you know, know, I don't know the answer to that, okay. Jenna, but. We can find out. <laughs> we can find out. <laughs> While we're finding yeah, out, though. Okay, do we have any you, other questions for
0: Google Dave? You Google it, and I'll ask Dave. Dave, what can I do? You've yeah. mentioned so many things, yeah. and maybe it's obvious to everybody. But if you were going to give one specific so thing.
2: Let's be really direct, and, and the, the most important thing you can do uh, for monarch butterflies is plant milkweed. Um, then the question is, where do I get milkweed? Well, the zoo every year um, does a... Native plant sale out our Boyer Farm. It's advertised on our website. Um, that's one spot you can you can get it and talk to our your experts or our experts while you're out there. And Boyer Farm is amazing. Take that opportunity yeah. to visit if you yeah. can. And and most importantly, stay engaged by registering your garden. So if you can help become part of the solution, um, plant plants for pollinators. Register your garden. Um, with us here at the zoo. You can get a sign that you can put in your garden um, and then help us track uh, the change that we're uh, making in this world to to help support uh, monarchs and other pollinators.
0: Awesome. I mean, I really suggest if you can plant milkweed. It is hard to find sometimes and if you can't make it out to Boyer, I think you can probably order it online or find seeds at your local nurseries. I've had a harder time finding plants that have already grown like seed or I don't know what you call them seedlings or yeah yeah, that you can plant at a nursery but go to Boyer if you have the chance because
2: yeah and it'll be worth it yep and and most importantly if you're if you're listening to this um look for the the species that are common in your area um that's important that you that you plant the milkweed that's native to your it's it's not only the milkweed that's going to grow the best right um (laughs) in your neck of the woods um there's some uh, tropical milkweeds that have become popular—they mm. can disrupt the the monarchs' migration. Oh, um, interesting! Yeah. So it's it's something. There's a lot of science that's uh, being put together on that right now. But um, they may encourage them in some cases to uh, to lay another generation of eggs, oh. um, or to maybe even not migrate. Stick around too yet, long. Yeah, stick around too long. So uh, make sure that you're you're looking up and planting. Um, the milkweeds that are common in your area. Okay. You and you can out. also plant some pollinators
1: as well, right? You mentioned the butterflies are going to need to refuel on these yep. journeys. They're going to need plenty of food to get there, and, plenty of nectar.
2: And, again, the pollinator plants you can buy, you can keep color in your garden all, all summer and fall. Um, but, you know, there are, there are flowers that are going to be your early spring blooming. Uh, and then you want to get into the asters and some of the other things that are going to be those, those fall bloomers yeah. to um, help fuel the migration south.
0: And we do have a site on the zoo's, or a page on the zoo's website that has like a lot of information about plant for pollinators. Yep. Pollinators and a list of plants to plant and all of that. So, mm-hmm. did you find That's out this cool. answer? I'll say
1: one footnote before we go Queen Alexandra's bird wing only found in Papua New Guinea. Oh, that makes sense. New Guinea. Of course. <gasps> gorgeous wow. butterfly. Oh, he has
0: a picture of it.
1: Gorgeous butterfly. Holy wow. cow, that looks fake. It's <laughs> go-
0: like gorgeous. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Dave. I apologize for all the coughing, especially to Mark and Dave and everyone (laughs) listening, but we really appreciate it and go plant some milkweed.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. We know you're a busy man. Thanks for taking the time to meet with us. This was fun. And thank you all you listeners for joining us for another episode of Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Until next time.